Daniel chapter 11 is a unique chapter in all the Bible. In fact, it has over a hundred different prophecies about what was coming future to Daniel's time and will lead us into an incredible prophecy about the coming Antichrist. More about that today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. So Haman hatched this plot, and he got the king to sign a decree to eliminate the people of Israel, right? And he uh, was mad at Mordecai, the uncle of Esther, and he wanted to hang him on the gallows, but the gallows that he made to hang uh, Mordecai became his own death instrument, and he was hung on the gallows. But his plot was to destroy the people of Israel. And Esther had to make a decision. And Uncle Mordecai said, if you don't stand, God will bring deliverance for the Jews in some other way or through somebody else. But perhaps you've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. And Esther stood tall. And she called for a, a three-day period, I believe, of prayer and fasting. Don't eat anything. Pray for me that the king will raise the scepter and allow me to approach him and to reveal the plot. And that is the feast that the Jews now celebrate called the Feast of Purim. They celebrate Esther's stand and another deliverance of their nation. Well, Ahasuerus, or Xerxes I, king of Persia, reigned from 485 B.C. to 464. And when Haman plotted to destroy Mordecai, his family, and all the Jews in the Persian Empire, God used Esther. As soon as he became strong through his riches, he would arouse the whole empire against the realm of Greece. After three years of battle, Xerxes, this king in the book of Esther, was defeated by the Greeks in the crucial battle of Salamis in 480 B.C. Xerxes reigned until he was assassinated by the chief of the palace guards in 465. Uh, His second son, Artaxerxes, ruled in his place. If Xerxes was Artaxerxes' father, who was his mother? It may well be that it was Esther. We know that she had some influence in the court when Nehemiah asked to go and return and rebuild the... uh, The city walls in the book of Nehemiah, you can see that in chapter 2, chapter 1, chapter 2. But here's what happens, just to give you the quick overview. Persia dominated the world from this time for about the next 150 years. There were other kings during this time, but they're not mentioned here. There were other invasions and attempts at defeating the Greeks, but it stuck in the Greek mind. And even though Persia dominated the world, according to Daniel 2 in the dream of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel 7, we see the leopard and the shaggy goat in uh, chapter 7 and 8 of Daniel representing Greece. We do have another uh, reference to the, the, to the Greeks, and here's where, where it is. Then a mighty king, verse 3, will arise, and he will rule with great authority and do as he pleases. Now, the mighty king of Daniel 11.3 is the first king of Daniel 8.21. I think all scholars agree that this is Alexander the Great. 
And in the Greek mind, they were angry with the Persians because the Persians kept trying to attack them and to war with them. And so Alexander the Great became the tool for the Greeks to get vengeance on the Persians. And so here's what happened. Alexander the Great took over. He launched an attack against Persia in 334 BC. By 332, he had essentially subdued the Persian Empire. And so this man was born, Alexander, in 356 BC. He ascended the Macedonian throne in 336, advised by his teacher Aristotle that he could rule the world if he could make people adopt the Greek culture. Alexander extended his empire east from Greece around the Mediterranean Sea to Egypt, then to the borders of India. He died in Babylon in 323 BC at the age of 33 with a very tired army in a drinking binge where he did something like this. <laughs> There's no more kingdoms to conquer. <laughs> what am I gonna do now? I'm 33. I guess I gotta retire or something. It wouldn't be bad to retire at 33, would it? But Alexander was a, a military genius, a fighting machine. He had gotten retribution for the Grecian Empire, but he was a, a bit of a mess in other ways. There are people who claim that the book of Daniel had to be written later, but interestingly enough, Flavius Josephus records an incident during the time of Alexander the Great which the, supports the early authorship of Daniel. When Alexander's invasion re reached the Near East, Jaduah, the high priest, went out to meet Alexander and showed him a copy of the book of Daniel. This is recorded by Josephus, a historian from the uh, first century, in which Alexander was clearly mentioned. High priest shows Alexander the, the book. Alexander was so impressed by this that instead of destroying Jerusalem, he entered the city peaceably and worshiped in the temple, close quote. That means that if Alexander saw his name in the book of Daniel in the 300s, then the book of Daniel couldn't have been written in 150, and it has to be authentic, and these prophecies are true, and we know they are even without this historic incident, but it did occur. But as soon as he has arisen, Alexander, his kingdom will be broken up and parceled toward the four points of the compass, though not his own descendants, nor according to his authority which he, he wielded. For his sovereignty or his kingdom will be uprooted and given to others besides them. Now keep in mind, these events are removed some 200 years from Daniel's life. He is getting information about people who haven't lived yet. That's prophecy. God knows history in advance. And that's why liberal scholars say there's no way he could know this stuff. How could he write these details? How could he know that Alexander would die and not one of his heirs would take the throne because Alexander died at a young age. His family was left unprotected. I could give you a bunch of details, but all of his descendants were killed and not one of them was able to take the throne. And so it was parceled out to his four generals in the four different compass points. This is what, exactly what occurred in secular history was prophesied by the Bible before it ever occurred. What you're holding in your hand, if you're holding a physical Bible tonight, is the word of God. And Daniel 11 is an amazing chapter. 
and I can't do it all the justice uh, for if I gave you all the details, we'd be here for weeks. But here's, here's what it basically says, that this would be split up. It would par- be parceled out to his generals, and here's what happened. It went to Antipater, Lysimachus, Ptolemy, and Seleucus. Um, for our purposes, we focus on the Ptolemaic Empire, which was Egypt, North Africa, and Arabia, and the Seleucus Empire, which was Syria and Babylonia. But for our purposes, just think of Israel in the center, Syria to the north, just as it is today, and Egypt to the south. Remember, when you're studying your Bible, Israel is always at the center of all geography. So when it says the king of the north or the king of the south, it's moving from the point of Israel to the rest of the world. Just like we would consider maybe America the center, and we would say Canada's to our north and Mexico's to our south, because from our vantage point, we live here. So we could say America's at the center for us. Well, in the Bible, Israel's at the center. So the king of the north and the king of the south are always from the vantage point of Israel. And this is, of course, what God would consider as well. And so some of the kingdoms were strong and some were weak, but the two strongest were the north and the south. The king of the south will grow strong, verse 5, along with one of his princes who will gain ascendancy over him, obtain dominion. His dominion will be great, a great dominion indeed. South is Egypt, or what's called the Ptolemaic Empire. Ptolemaic starts with a P, and the Ptolemies would be P-T-O-L-O-M-I-E-S, the Ptolemies. And then the Seleucid dynasty is to the north. So if you think of the S, Seleucid is Syria. You got north and south from Israel. That's basically what's going on, looking from the land of Israel. So one of the Ptolemies' generals in 316 B.C. was Seleucus. He became even stronger than Ptolemy Lagos. He returned to Babylon to establish his own kingdom, which became the kingdom of the north, or Syria. South and north, from Israel being in the middle, here's Ezekiel 5.5. Thus says the Lord God, This is Jerusalem, Ezekiel 5.5. I have set her at the center of the nations with lands around her. To God, Israel is the center. And by the way, to God, Israel always will be the center. Israel is the apple of his eye. And even though right now Israel is largely secular and atheistic or agnostic, their eyes are going to be opened again and God is going to work again in the land. Look at verse 6. After some years, they will form an alliance. The daughter of the king of the south will come to the king of the north to carry out a peaceful arrangement or make an agreement. But she will not retain her position of power, nor, and I'm going to give you one example of how these prophecies work, nor will he remain with his power, but she will be given up along with those brought her, who brought her in and the one who sired her as well as he who supported her in those times. And everybody said, say what? (laughs) Sometimes when these areas were warring, they would try to make an alliance by the king giving his daughter to the other king. Kind of uh, an offer of peace. Let's sit down at the table. Maybe we can get along kind of thing. But here's what you have to see from the standpoint of Israel. 
When the North and South were warring with each other, who was always in the middle? You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first... Is it proper for Christians to celebrate Christmas? The Christmas season can appear to be a conflict of messages, images, and sentiments. The Origins of Christmas DVD will address frequently asked questions such as, do we know Jesus' actual birth date? Did the early church celebrate the birthday of Jesus? Did Christians really steal Christmas from a pagan holiday? The Origins of Christmas DVD wraps up with a practical answer to one final question. Is it proper for Christians today to celebrate Christmas? And if so, how? Get your copy of the Origins of Christmas DVD today when you visit walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. King of the South will come to the King of the North to carry out a peaceful arrangement or make an agreement. But she will not retain her position of power, nor, and I'm going to give you one example of how these prophecies work, nor will he remain with his power, but she will be given up along with those brought her, who brought her in and the one who sired her as well as he who supported her in those times. And everybody said, say what? <laughs> Sometimes when these areas were warring, they would try to make an alliance by the king giving her, his daughter to the other king. Kind of a, uh, an offer of peace. Let's sit down at the table. Maybe we can get along kind of thing. But here's what you have to see from the standpoint of Israel. When the north and south were warring with each other, who was always in the middle? Israel. And when someone lost, let's say that the Syrian king came down to battle Egypt, and let's say that uh, he lost, and uh, let's say that he was walking away and he got beat up, he would have to pass through a place called Jerusalem. And since Israel was not really a warring nation and Oftentimes, they were relatively weak in the sense of their armies and so forth. The king would come through there and he would take his aggression out on Israel. And Israel always found herself between a rock and a hard place. And sometimes she would try to figure out who to ally herself with. So sometimes she would make an alliance with Egypt. Sometimes she would make an alliance with Syria or Assyria to try to find a way to survive. She became the proverbial punching bag in the Middle East, but not because she was really doing anything wrong, more because of her geographic location being unfortunate. Now, you can say, well, it was God's plan all along, and it was for Israel to be here, but this is what was happening in world history. And so Israel didn't know, it seemed like they were getting it coming and going. Someone was always mad at them. Someone was always taking their aggression out on the little land of Israel. And so uh, in, in these verses, basically what happens is to ease the tension, an alliance was made, years of hostility between these kingdoms. So Bernice, the daughter of Egypt's Ptolemy, the second Philadelphus, uh, married Sirius king Antiochus II Phaos. The latter part of the verse refers to the political advantage or a political marriage they hope it would produce. Antiochus divorced his wife to marry Bernice. After Antiochus put his first wife, Laodice, away, he sent, uh, sent her sons to Ephesus in Asia Minor. But Bernice did not retain her position of power, as the verse says, as queen. Antiochus II grew tired of her, after a son was born, he went to Ephesus to live with Laodice. 
but there was hatred and friction. Later, that divorced wife murdered, murdered Bernice, her baby son, and even Antiochus by poisoning him or them. Thus, she brought her own son, Seleucus II, Callinicus to the throne. This is kind of how it, it goes. The details of the verses are borne out by secular history. And here's how the prophecy works. Now, I'm not going to get into all the, the details, but verses 5 through 20, write this down, cover almost 200 years of wars between these bordering powers, between the king of the north and the king of the south. Verses 5 through 20 covering about 200 years of wars between these empires. How could Daniel have this information? Only if it was from a supernatural source. And so, um, do you go, go ahead and scroll down with me. Um, let's go to verse 15. Then the king of the north will come, cast up a siege mound, and capture a well-fortified city. The forces of the south will not stand their ground, not even the choicest troops, for there will be no strength to make a stand. But he who comes against him will do as he pleases. No one will be able to withstand him. He, and he will also stay for a time in the, what's your Bible say? The beautiful land or the glorious land with destruction in his hand. Here's an example of how in between these warring factions, Israel was called the glorious land or the holy land or the beautiful land, but oftentimes would be in the middle of these wars. And on and on went the battle. And so here's something that happens with this latter Antiochus. Go to verse 19. He will turn his face toward the fortresses of his own land, but he will stumble and fall and be found no more. Then in his place one will arise who will send an oppressor through the jewel of his kingdom. Yet within a few days, or years, the NIV has, he will be shattered, though neither in anger nor in battle. Uh, basically what happened is the, as the time went on and the, and the forces fought back and forth, up and down, Rome began to rise as a world power. And Rome began, began to get stronger and become involved. Now part two of the prophecy is about a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. We're going to try to move quickly. He is the eighth Seleucid king. Now everybody take a deep breath for a second. Now you know why I told the joke about the snail at the door? Some of you, some of you are feeling it. But anyway, here we go. Now, part two of the prophecy about Antiochus Epiphany, he, Epiphanes, he's a type of a coming Antichrist, which we'll deal with next time. But here's what happens. In his place, in the place of one of these kings, a despicable person will arise. This is Antiochus. On whom the honor of kingship has not been conferred. He stole it by intrigue. But he will come in a time of tranquility and seize the kingdom by intrigue. Now this prophecy covers a 12-year period of time from 175 B.C. to 163 B.C. Daniel wrote, in the mid-500s. He's talking about a person that would live some 400 years after his time. And he's giving details about the man. He's telling Israel, here's what's going to happen. See, Daniel may have thought, 70 years of captivity, we're going back to the promised land, everything's going to be great, right? Wrong. 
In fact, the people of Israel are going to run into persecution, oppression, war, almost being stamped out throughout all history until the return of the Prince of Peace, Jesus himself, the ultimate king. See, what Daniel's being told in the prophecy as he prayed over his people, as he had on his heart what's going to happen to my people, is that throughout the centuries of time, Israel is going to continue to be the world's punching bag. Now, if you were Daniel, you'd have to be overwhelmed with that. If you had prayed about something regarding your own nation or your own family, and let's say it was revealed that there's going to be difficulty and, and struggle until the return of Jesus Christ, that would be a bit disheartening. It's the truth, but this is what Daniel's getting. And so Antiochus Epiphanes arises. By the way, he, his name means God manifest. When he would introduce himself, he would say, hello, I'm God manifest. Apparently, he didn't have a problem with his own, you know, uh, uh, opinion of himself. But he, the Jews renamed him Epimenes, which means Antiochus the madman. He thought he was a god. The Jews thought he was a nut. And by the way, anybody who introduces himself as God manifest I would quickly categorize as a nut job, right? I think I would say, he's a madman. Because that's pretty much, when we've had people over history, even in our own generation, like David Koresh and others, or Jonestown, claim that they were God, we know one thing's happened. They are cuckoo. And this is who this man was. Antiochus IV the madman. He thought he was God manifest. He seized power through intrigue. He stole the throne. And the overflowing forces will be flooded away, 22, before him and shattered, and also the prince of the covenant. Egypt's armies were swept away by Antiochus. Antiochus is invading forces as by a flood. And so he made alliances. He, he tried to Tell people he was friendly. I'm, I'm a good guy. In a time of tranquility, 24, he will enter the richest parts of the realm. He will accomplish what his fathers never did. He will distribute plunder, booty, and possessions among them. He will devise schemes against strongholds, but only for a time. He will stir up his strength and courage against the king of the south with a large army, so the king of the south will mobilize an extremely large and mighty army for war, but he will not stand, for schemes will be divided against him. Uh, look at verse 27. As for both kings, their hearts will be intent on evil. They will speak lies to each other at the same table. They will say, hey, let's come to the table, but it will be all about lies, just like every treaty that's ever been signed in the history of man. Treaties are not even worth the piece of paper they're written on. One thing we have in common about treaties is that they're always broken. And so they came to the table. Yeah, but there was nothing good that was going to come out of that. And so basically what he did was he would loot whatever he could. He would seize every opportunity he could. He would plunder whatever temple he could. And then he would go through the streets 
and he would throw the gold to his people and he would say, I am your savior, I'm your God. And the people, history says that Antiochus used to love when he would throw the money on the ground and people would be trying to pick it up as quickly as they could, just like in the Batman movie with the Joker. How many of you remember that? The Joker, oh, this, this is dating me. Remember the original Batman movie? The, the Joker who was played by, who was it? Jack Nicholson, man, he was, anyway, and, and, what am I doing? Hey, I'm your savior. Where's Batman? At home, washing his tights. <laughs> and he threw the money out with the music playing, and there's the people. Oh, oh, oh yeah, the Joker's our savior. Do you know there's historical precedent that that's what Antiochus did? He would loot temples and he would throw the money on the ground and he would laugh as the people scattered and tried to get the money and he tried to be the savior of the people. Hey, listening family, I'm very grateful that you're listening to Walk in Truth. I want to let you know that your financial support is greatly appreciated. You are partnering with us in the greatest work of all. When you give to Walk in Truth, you're essentially helping us pay for everything that goes into getting this program on the radio. None of us gets a paycheck from doing what we do, but we are grateful that we can get the Word of God on the air. We would love to enter this new year with the ability to grow this ministry so we can reach more towns and more people like you with a powerful teaching of the Word of God. Please visit walkintruth.com today and click on the donate button on the top right-hand corner. You can either give a one-time tax-deductible donation, or I would love it if you believe in our mission, if you believe in what we do, if you would become a monthly partner. Visit walkintruth.com. Thank you so much. God bless you. And a very blessed and Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people. 